Welcome back. You are listening to Conscious Quest, the podcast for seekers. I am one of your hosts, Sarah Parlo, and I need to start off with a warning. Today's episode might just inspire you or change your life. Let me explain. When it comes to all the great people throughout history, they all had one thing in common. They were visionaries. Vision is what enables us to look past the mundane and to imagine what could be. My next guest truly embodies visionary in every sense of the word, and her medium is Hollywood. We are going to find out from her what it takes to be visionary, and we might just give you the tools to step out of your own limitations and to get a taste of greatness yourself. Stay with us. Welcome to Conscious Quest, the LA-based podcast where we aim to stay conscious about everything current. And I am here with Rain Valdez, who is an actress, writer, director, and out and proud Filipino transgender woman, most notably of the 2022 GLAAD-listed script Relive, Ryan's, Hexed, and the series Razor Tongue. Rain's unique writing and performance on Razor Tongue earned her a primetime Emmy nomination for Outstanding Actress in a Short Form Comedy or Drama Series and a Special Recognition GLAAD Award. Her writing, directing, and performance in the rom-com film Ryan's earned her a Best North American Short Film Award at OutSouth Queer Film Festival and Hexed earned her three nominations for Best Actor, Best, I'm sorry, Best Director, Best Actress, and Best Short at the Madrid International Film Festival. She recently starred in Amazon's Sneaky Pete opposite Margot Martindale, Why Women Kill, and Law and Order SVU. Rain also brings the iconic comic book character Alicia Yo to life in the animated series Harley Quinn, which showcases her versatility and undeniable talent. Welcome, visionary actress Rain Valdez. <laughs> thank you for being here. Hi, I'm just... how are you? I'm doing great. Oh my God, thank you for having me. And, 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 and thanks for that wonderful intro. Thank you. Always a pleasure. And for those of you who don't know, I've been a friend of Rain's for about six years. She's always been a source of inspiration. I cannot tell you um, how she leads, by example, in our community, not only for people who are trans, but anyone in the in the film industry. And so it's just really a pleasure to have her here. Um, besides your wonderful resume that we started with, what else would you like people to know about you, Rain? Oh gosh. <laughs> no pressure. Um, I well I I'm I love my, you know, I love animals. I love my little Hudson. Um I'm a dog mom. Um I realized that I I actually love traveling. Um so much more than I thought that I would. I was able to travel as in the past year and a half, I think I've been to Spain, Portugal, Guam, the Philippines, which, well, I grew up, I grew up on Guam and I, I'm from the Philippines, but I hadn't visited in so long. And then this summer I was in Mexico. And so just learning about other cultures and other ways of living um, was sort of a reflection on how I live my life and the privileges that I get to have in my life. And, um, and I, yeah, I think I have a new passion for just learning more about the world and people. And what I love about you is you bring your life experience into your work and, um, you are this multi-hyphenate who not only does the acting thing, but directs, is a filmmaker, is a writer. And so I, I know mm. that whatever you're absorbing in the world will see in your art. And, and that truly is the purpose of art. Mm. How long have you been in the industry? Because I, I feel a lot of times people uh, look at someone and say, oh, look, they just popped up out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. The reality is anyone who's in the, in the industry mm -hmm. and is visible, they've been working at it a long time. 
prior to people noticing. Yeah, totally. And I think I've had a few, oh, she's popping up out of nowhere. Like I've already like had a few of those because you, there's a tendency to have a, well, there's a tendency to have different phases in this business and this career. But to answer your question, I think I've been a part of this industry for about uh, 20 years now, if we include all of the, you know, the first time I stepped into an acting class, you know, when I started auditioning, if we, if we include, you know, all of that, um, collectively, it's been close to 20 years. There were a few years where I thought that it might've been best to like take a break from acting or the industry and do other things. And I've, found myself working in post-production, for example, um, for about maybe like five years, because I still wanted a job that was related to the industry. I just wanted a different skill to learn. And mm -hmm. working in post-production kind of gave me sort of a, a window and a lesson of how films are finished, how films are wrapped up and delivered to, you know, the studios and the networks and um, and the theater. And um, that was such an invaluable experience for me because it sort of was what catapulted me into creating my own content because learning how to finish a project and having those resources to be available to me made me want to write and, and kind of work backwards. Um, you know, I, I knew that I had the story to tell and then I knew, oh, okay, so I have this post test where I can take it to and get it finished. Um, so let me minimize the story by making sure my locations are simple, making sure that my um, characters are, are small but mighty, you know, um, small cast meaning, um, but mighty characters. And um, that kind of is what sort of led to all the other opportunities throughout my career was just kind of learning how to do things on my own. And um, so, yeah, I've been, I've been in the business for a really long time. I, I honestly thought that when I was doing my short films and getting into film festivals, that my, my directing career and my writing career would be the one to kind of take off. But, um, but instead it, there was just a lot more interest with, with uh, on-camera stuff. And so I started to audition more. And in fact, because of Ryan's and Hext, you know, I kind of showcased the kinds of roles that I wanted to play and the kinds of roles that I was capable of doing, the kinds of like leading roles that I was, I knew I was capable of doing. So then having that out into the world, the auditions started to change, started to get better, started to be more in line with the things that I want to do and the stories that I want to tell and the kind of women that I wanted to portray. And, um, and it was kind of starting to veer away from the traditional, um, you know, stereotypical like Asian characters or roles or, or even the typical like trans characters and roles. Um, and I was very, very lucky in that regard that I didn't have to, um, you know, suffer the the amount of discrepancy that goes on when it comes to Asian American trans characters. I mean, right. you know, saying that now there's still levels of it, but I, I, I look at, I look back at my career and, and I look at it as a very fortunate, lucky experience. But also you have to give yourself credit that you were the one that had that vision and stepped forward into it. And what I really want to just focus on for a second and what you touched on is that you created those things. You had the foresight to realize that creating your own content yeah. was the key because probably you weren't seeing yeah. yourself reflected in the auditions you were being offered. And maybe you can speak about some of the barriers that you faced as a trans Filipino woman um, trying to get roles in, in the industry. 
Yeah, that's very, very true. Thank you for reminding me of that. I think part of why I started writing, creating, and basically just casting myself in my own work is there weren't very many roles for someone like me. And it got to a point where, well, if I ever want to see myself in a romantic comedy, which was always a dream of mine, is, you know, I'd have to create it for myself. And and you're you're right. I I did it because I didn't see that growing up as a, you know, um, a woman of trans experience and Asian American experience. Um, and for me, it just felt like something that I've always kind of knew in my heart that I could I could do and I could portray. Um, I've always wanted to be like you know the Sandra Bullock type or the Julia Roberts type or. You know, I want I wanted to be cast and considered for leading lady roles um, because that's how that's how I always saw myself, um, and that was a challenge because the industry saw me as something else, and right. um, yeah, and so that that became sort of where I felt like the industry and I were kind of misaligned with that vision, you know. Um, until I started really showing them what I was capable of. I think that's when things started to really, really shift. It's still challenging for sure, but I think there is something to say with having control with where your career in this industry goes, because so much of it we can't control. Um, And I was fortunate enough to kind of, I don't know, in a way, get out of my own way and just, you know, have fun in the process. And really just like, I didn't really put on any unrealistic expectations of myself. I just knew that like, okay, well, if I want to do romantic comedies, if I want to be a leading lady, um, let me just do it for myself. So, you know, I, I, I started crowdfunding and, you know, just started shooting things with my friends and um, that's kind of how that's kind of, you know, and that's what happened with raise your tongue, as you know. Absolutely. And, um, I want to touch on raise your tongue in just a second, but also I want to ask you about your love for rom-coms and what was it about this genre that really appealed to you? Because I think there's some interesting things here that I want to pull out. Yeah, I think for me, um, well, I mean, I, I grew up in an era where rom-coms, where just, uh, there was just so much of it, you know, there was just the, and, and the Disney movies and, you know, the, the fairy tales and the, the happy endings. Like I, I grew up with that. And that was something that I really gravitated to because those movies gave me so much hope and so much possibilities about love, about careers, about, family dynamics and friendships and, um, and, and, and vanity, you know, um, appearance and, you know, clothes and all that. It just kind of was this fantasy of a world, but, uh, but because there was so much of it and because they were, most of them were very strong women. Um, I saw myself in them. I saw myself in them, even though they weren't trans, even though they weren't, um, uh, you know, Asian American, I, I saw myself in some of those stories, particularly because a lot of it had a lot to do with identity. Uh, and that was something that is universal, isn't, is a, it's a universal emotion. Uh, when someone's struggling with identity or trying to figure out who they are and you're watching these romantic comedies and these women are trying to figure out who they are and how they fit in the world and, you know, how to get the guy and all that. Um, you know, there's always some sort of lesson or some sort of transformation into becoming the women that they always saw themselves or they learn something about, um, you know, who they used to be and who they really want to become and how this relationship and this, you know, um, uh, relationship kind of, uh, reflects who they are. Um, 
And that was something that I felt like, oh, I'm those women. I'm those women because I struggle with my identity and getting people to see me in a certain way. And, you know, and, and so, so much of, of, I think my interest in being in a romantic comedy was, was also just like in the reality of, you know, what I was going through, you know, living on, um, on an island, growing up on an island that was, well, that valued, you know, traditional like family units and was also very traditionally religious. Um, there was a limit to, and there's a, there was, there was always a limit to how I was able to express myself. Um, and for me, I think when I look at the rom-coms that I grew up watching, it was, it was all about expression. It was all about how these women expressed themselves and how they navigate love and, and how they can get to a point where um, love is possible or a happy ending is possible. And, you know, when you're a young trans girl, at least in my family, um, no one really knew how, how I would turn out or what that looked like. And um, that, that, was, that was difficult because it started to really affect what I thought would happen. Um, but, the, but the fantasy and the fairy tale just was this thing that was, I was able to hang on to for hope and, mm-hmm. and being able to kind of embody that identity allowed me to move a little bit more freely in the world you know, um, if that makes any sense at all. It does. And also, I remember hearing you say in an interview once that the cultural impact of rom-coms is that it kind of portrays who is worthy of being loved in a way. Do you still feel this way? Do you still agree with that? And was that part of your motivation or attraction to rom-com as a genre? Yeah, I think, I think I said, rom-coms are propaganda for those who get to be loved. Mm. Um, I, uh, I do believe that, uh, to still be true. And, um, I think at the time, you know, um, as we were becoming more visible in mainstream media, um, which is not that long ago, like maybe 10 years ago, we, as trans performers, became so politicized and um you know I think about as a writer I always think about like the hero's journey and um all the other genres that we have um you know to entertain people or to you know to entertain ourselves romantic comedies you know are kind of one of those things that like they they have a tendency to fly under the radar because it's such an easily digestible um genre and because of that, because it can reach such a mass audience, such a universal audience, in my opinion, it's the most political genre. Wow. And what we've seen typically in that genre is, um, you know, these, these um, white people, cis, gender, heteronormal, you know, heteronormative couples, um, navigating relationships and love and money and fashion. And, um, you know, we were, we were telling, we were constantly telling the world that these are the people that deserve to be centered, that deserve to have privileges and that deserve to be love in the world and deserve to have, um, their love professed to them, you know, on the mountaintops you know, with, um, uh, with, 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 you know, how rom-coms are with the, you know, with the plot points and the hijinks and, and, um, you know, the grand gestures and the counter grand gestures. Right. So, um, we've basically for the history of filmmaking, just been constantly telling the world that, um, 
these are the people who deserve those things, who deserve grand gestures and the counter grand gestures and deserve a happy ending. And more often than not, they were all very white and moneyed and privileged and cisgender and heterosexual. Um, it's only been very recently that we're, we've started to see a lot more queer romantic comedies, I think, um, which, you know, warms my heart. But, um, and we, we learn, we learn that as, as kids, we internalize that as human beings. And because of that, it, it kind of, I think it really affects our own self-worth if we're not, if we're constantly being told that these people deserve these kinds of privileges and emotions and, and, and centering. And we're, you know, either completely invisible from the genre or are the butt of the joke or this, or the, or the, you know, supporting side characters who are only there to, to, to uplift the main characters and, and center them and, you know, or make them laugh, you know what I mean? So um, I think, you know, it, it has a tendency to affect one's uh, self-worth and, um, and that absolutely had an effect on me, except that I saw myself as one of those people deserving of those privileges and emotions and happy endings. And I think you're right. I think that was a catalyst for, for my journey into romantic comedies. Um, but yeah, but you know, and but also like I want to be funny, <laughs> and I want to make people laugh, and and I want I want people. I don't know. I want well, not just people specifically trans women. I want them to know that it's very possible to fall in love. That is absolutely, and, absolutely, extremely possible to be in love. And I think both of us here right now can attest to that fact that cis hetero men genuinely and fully do fall in love with trans women whether or not that makes people out there uncomfortable or not it genuinely does happen on a deep visceral level it's real and it is yeah it's real it's real um so that was yeah. part of your vision and your foresight to see yourself in these roles and I think that brings us to our next topic, which was which was the creation of Razor Tongue, which is celebrating its five-year anniversary fairly soon. And so can you quickly tell the audience crazy. a little bit about Razor Tongue? It is crazy. <laughs> tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Razor Tongue was just this, um, well, it was a very personal project for me at the time about this character who unapologetically just like goes around calling people out in a fun way for her own personal amusement and um and then accidentally kind of falls in love with one of the people that she calls out um and yeah when i wrote it at the time i think well i wrote it years before we actually crowdfunded it produced it and it felt like something that was a little ahead of its time and a lot of people thought that the character was very mean and kind of bitchy. <laughs> um, but then, um, yeah, but then during, but then when the hashtag Me Too movement happened, I started, I started kind of interrogating my own complacency in, um, in some of the situations that I found myself in and how I've participated in, um, you know, in some of those situations or, or just, you know, how, how just kind of interrogating how I could have been responsible versus someone who was a victim of circumstance. And, um, and that empowered me to kind of revive that character and turn it into something that could be really powerful. And so then I, you know, wrote it into this, iteration which was razor tongue this sort of web series and um and it seemed to have worked and um the the romance and the the, the falling in love component of it all uh, surprisingly was something that i think a lot of people kind of gravitated to where i was more focused on um the shift of it all at the end of the series um and and the bigger conversation of consent and 
participation um, in complacency. And, um, but yeah, so, so for me, it was just like, oh, I want to write a rom-com, but I also wanted to have this edge. Um, but what most people really responded to, including the critics, was the rom-com of it all. Because she, and I think what surprised everyone and this was, and I, this this may have been intentional on my part. I don't know, but the character doesn't reveal that she's trans until the last episode, um, and which allowed our audience and people who are watching to kind of get to know her and fall in love with her or have their opinion about her, regardless of her, you know, identity. And um, and for me. That was an important way to tell this story because most scripts that I would read and most um, things that I would audition for, the writers have a tendency to want the audience to know that that I'm trans in the first five minutes. Of course. Um, and so, so I wanted to to I wanted to show the world or the industry that. Um, it could be a little bit more nuanced than that and that you mm-hmm. can have a trans character and not let her identity be the center of the story. And, um, and I think that's why Razor Tongue kind of, you know, became, became what it is, uh, is because it, it was just so different, you know, it was just so different from what, what was out there in terms of representation and, I got to do it with my friends. You, you were a part of it. You know, we, we crowdfunded it at a time where I didn't even have a big following on Instagram. I, I had less than 8,000 followers. I wasn't even Instagram verified yet. And so the fact that we were able to accomplish so much, um, you know, during that time when I was still kind of making a name for myself is, I don't know, I look back at that and I'm just kind of like, wow, it's, what an experience that was, you know? Truly is. And the beautiful part about the way that you divulged in the script itself that you were trans is that it was kind of a throwaway. There was not a lot of focus on the fact mm-hmm. that you were trans. It was just sort of like a, an aside, if you will. And it wasn't a transitional mm-hmm. storyline. It was just like a throwaway. And I thought that was really powerful yeah. as if, this is just a fact, like, you know, I'm a brunette or whatever. And, and yeah. I think audience needed to see that that way, that we can be so many other things than this monolith of transition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this worked out well for you and you got an Emmy nomination uh, for, <laughs> for your did. performance. And I'm going to take just a moment. We're yeah. going to cut to the episode that got you the nomination real quick. Take a look, everyone. Ooh. Great. Here's my cart. My assistant will show you out. Are you okay? You look a little depressed. What are you, a uh, doctor now? Uh, no. Let me ask you this, doctor. What are the symptoms of being overqualified? I mean, I am a smart girl with a extensive list of work experience interviewing for a thankless job I can do with my eyes closed. And the least you can do is ask me more appropriate questions pertaining to the job. Isn't that the point of submitting a resume beforehand so you can review my qualifications before bringing me in? I mean. What kind of place has a incompetent cisgender white man doing interviewing an overqualified woman? Look, I didn't want to offend you. You, you, you seem like a nice person. I, I, I wish you luck. Luck? I don't need luck. I need a fucking job, you moron.
incredible performance reign. I see now and everyone sees now while you got the nomination. And I'm curious, I want to ask you, like, what was that experience like of getting the validation finally? And then also as part of that, how did your life change or not change as a result of that nomination? Uh, I think the validation was part surprising and part fuck yes, you know? Um, yeah, <clears throat> yeah it was, I was shocked. Absolutely. But seeing my name, seeing Razor Tongue and seeing my production company on that list amongst all the other nominees, which includes, you know, Anna Kendrick and Jasmine Cephas Jones, who won uh, that category that year, um, was very validating, very empowering, very, very affirming. Um, and you know, it was during the pandemic in which it was a time in my life where so many things were taken from me because of the pandemic, so many opportunities, um, got shut down or, you know, put on the shelf because, uh, because of the pandemic, we had to stay home. So I wasn't, I wasn't expecting much that year. I honestly thought. Um, well, like, oh, okay, well, I guess I can focus on other things. Um, and uh, so when the nomination came, it was sort of this surprise, but I felt like I did feel like it was sort of this spiritual demonstration that I was on the right path and that I've always been on the right path and that I did the right thing. Uh, by telling my story. Um, and that for me felt, if anything felt just, I don't know, it just helped me settled more into who I am and, and my identity and, and my artistic message and my purpose and almost like no longer questioning it and its validity or its place in the industry. And for me, that was just, the biggest gift the universe could ever give me because my career may not have shifted in the way that um, I would have, you know, or one would hope it would have shifted. But the way I shifted on a personal level um, is, is something that you could never really trade off or or anticipate or, or really buy, you know, and um, <clears throat> because it was validation. Well, it was self-validation, it was internal validation and it was external validation that I was able to gift myself with my friends and with my community involved and and if, you know, and if I could do that, you know, I remember just thinking like, oh, I could do anything, <laughs> you know, it's like, it was such a, it was, it was truly, truly a powerful experience. Um, and, you know, you have to really, you have to really go back and kind of look at my life in the way that I was able to in that moment where, you know, I was born in the Philippines um, in poverty. And then, you know, my mom decided to change her life and my life and my siblings life and migrate us to Guam, which is a American territory. And that's how I was able to change my life and migrate myself to Los Angeles. So, I look at that and I look at um, just how possible it was for the impossible to become. Um, and it just makes me very grateful for, for the nomination because that's something that you dream about, you fantasize about, you wish and hope and you, you prepare for and you work so hard for, but I don't think never in a million years would I, you know, um, thought that it was at this lifetime 
and at the it was you know before it was before my 40th birthday too so it was just like <gasps> it was just like uh, like an emmy nomination before your 40th birthday that's like that's unheard of for for an actress you know um uh if you're you know if you're not white or if you're not you know rich and privileged and if you're not um uh um uh uh, you know, a, a baby of nepotism in the industry. It's kind. It's kind of unheard of. It's kind of unheard of, and um, that was. That's what I was enjoying the most and celebrating the most is that you look at this Emmy nomination and it's it's the impossible that became impossible, um, and that's that's something that I'll always be so grateful for. And so. What a profound shift, what a profound gift to receive. And I am convinced that you also manifested it. You didn't just dream of it. You're an expert at manifesting. Yeah. One of the best I've, I know in my circle. And how did your family <laughs> react when you got that nomination? Are they proud of you? Is, has it shifted your relationship with them in any ways? They're very, very proud and, and um, yeah, they were very excited. And, um, you know, sometimes we get into our, our heads and, and, you know, the fears, because um, this industry can be very challenging. But, you know, when the Emmy nomination happened, there were a lot of, there were a lot of like, of course, there were a lot of like, uh, people who just weren't surprised, um, like you were saying, like, you know, I, I manifested it. And um, that's something that um, I was able to create. And so to have my family members kind of like, well, yeah, of course, I mean, of course, you're so talented, and you're so, you know, um, positive and, and beautiful. It's like, you know, it's to hear them say that, I deserve it and beyond um, was really, was really, was really exciting because uh, I mean, you know, th th that's kind of, I think that's where, I mean, if I'm really honest, you know, it's, I think I became one of the reasons why I became an actor is, is um, I wanted, I wanted to be validated by the world. Um, and I knew I had stories to tell. I knew that I have a voice. I knew I have a very specific artistic message, but I also wanted that validation from my family mm. who, you know, growing up just didn't know what to do with me or what to make of me. And so seeing them be so proud and, and be settled that, um, you know, that I've made my own way after all, and that they can kind of not be so worried about me or be confused to what would happen or if anyone would love me or if, you know, or if I would ever get a job, you know, the, the, just the fact that they don't have to worry about that because I've created <laughs> my own path um, just makes me, makes me feel good that they're settled more into it now, you know? Yeah. And what nourishment for that inner child too, that younger part of yeah. yourself that was just finding your way through the world, like we all do in the trans experience, where the world is berating us with messages about who we are, who we're supposed to be. And yet this intuitive pull mm -hmm. within us drives us on this specific, you know, heart-driven journey that I feel a lot of people have mm -hmm. struggled to understand, but it's so visceral and so important for us and it's life. Um, speaking mm -hmm. about skills as a storyteller and the importance of trans people storytelling about their own lives. You were featured in a Netflix documentary called Disclosure. And I just want to touch on this a little bit. Mm. It really dug into the way that Hollywood has portrayed trans narratives. What has Hollywood gotten wrong about the trans experience? <clears throat> well, um, I mean, just the 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 obsession and the focus on our transition and our uh, you know uh, struggle um, 
and genitals just kind of it's like you know it's like wow we it's it's it proves that um um <clears throat> that there's just so much more uh untapped like talent um in the industry because because of where we started and how trans people were just sort of portrayed as these, um, you know, tools uh, to, you know, um, use as a plot twist or use to um, affect the main protagonist in a way that is, um, that makes the trans characters feel, sort of objectified and kind of in a way like useless as just like throwaway characters. Um, You know, um, it's, there's just so much untapped talent, untapped voices that I felt, you know, um, when I look back at disclosure and I look back at all those examples that were uh, used in, in disclosure, how limiting um, the creativity and the minds have been for for decades and decades, and um, and I kind of I kind of feel I kind of feel sorry for the industry in a way, <laughs> but I also feel like the industry has an opportunity to to really change its legacy on trans stories. Like what? Like what? What? You know, if if we're looking at Hollywood as a whole, um, like what's the legacy? What 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 is Hollywood's? What would they want their legacy to be when it comes to trans storytelling? And um, because so far it hasn't been great, and yeah. I think we have such an opportunity to really change that and make it authentic and make it uh, and prove that it's not a monolithic community or story that there are other stories that we can tell and dive into and that it's worth seeking those untapped voices and talent to shed light in what those stories can be. Um, Because the possibilities are so limitless at this point when it comes to our experiences and our stories and, um, you know, there, there are a few great shows like Love and Neno, which is on HBO Max, that, that yes. I think is just so wonderfully told. And again, like an untapped voice that, that someone was able to tap. And um, like, that's just like one example that I think, you know, um, was able to kind of get through the, you know, the haystack of, of storytelling and and really, really shine as something very authentic and unique. Um, and, and, and I worry sometimes, you know, with this industry, they, they have a tendency to be like, well, well, we already did it with Pose and we did it with Love and Neno. And, you know, so they have a tendency to kind of sort of settle into this mindset as if they already did it. Mm-hmm. They already told the story. So there's, there's no need to like dive more into it. But but that's where I challenged the industry. That's where I was just like, mm. but there's also this story and there's also this experience and there's yes. also this person's, you know, life story. And, um, and there's also this country, <laughs> you know, there's also this part of the world. And so it's like, how, how can we continue to challenge ourselves to push through the glass ceiling and, and really challenge our limiting beliefs when it comes to storytelling. And um, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what my main focus has been is like wanting to be a part of changing Hollywood's legacy on our representation and what it's been. Absolutely. And so there is this beautiful richness that occurs when we get to reclaim our stories and tell them according to our lens. And I think to paraphrase you in one speech I heard, let us relieve Hollywood of that burden (laughs) of having to tell our stories (laughs) because we can tell them better and with much more heart and nuance. Yes. 
Yeah. Yes. Thank you for that reminder. That was a great speech. Everybody loved that speech. Um, girl. <laughs> and I want to focus on um, a little bit more of, um, you know, part of the thing about being an artist or being a trans person is this sort of reality of incredible highs and incredible lows and having to take care of ourselves through these sort of peaks and valleys of life, which can at times be more exaggerated than the average person. And so Hmm. I know from, for a fact that you've been doing a lot of self-work and that you've been going through a bit of your own spiritual transformation. And I have been myself and Hmm. I think Mm -hmm. what would be helpful for our listeners is for us to touch on that a little bit so that we can also give them some help along their path to becoming more whole, more authentic, and more visionary in their own lives. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. I've been on a spiritual path or growing phase for maybe for the, for the past two years, I think. Um, and it's a, it's an ongoing process. I'm always learning. I'm always healing. Um, I'm always looking for ways to grow. Um, but this past year was pretty pivotal for me because I found resources that I didn't even know was a resource or I didn't even know was something that I needed. Um, I do believe in therapy and I think that everybody should be in therapy, um, especially people in our community. I think that's very important, but I found this, uh, uh, well, you introduced me to it. You introduced me to a coaching program that I really, really love. And I never thought of myself as someone who needs coaching. I really just like, I don't need coaching. I'm like, what do I, what do I need coaching for? Um, I'm good. Uh, but now that I'm in the program, um, it is very evident that I need coaching. You know, it's so evident that we all need a little bit of help. Um, and I think that's where it starts. It's like, it's like being really honest with yourself and, and in what areas of your life that, that you could need some help or, or just have an interest in wanting to approve upon. And I think what constantly comes up for me is, um, and it's, it seems to be a running theme in, in my storytelling as well, um, is self-love. You know, um, Belle on Razor Tongue talks about self-love and that's, a, that's an ongoing theme for me. And, uh, you know, it shows in my, in my writing and in my art. Um, but, but even, you know, even though I, I advocate for it and I talk about it, like I'm, I'm constantly learning ways to love myself or take care of myself in the ways that, um, uh, that makes a huge difference in my life. And, and, you know, um, I think that we forget to love ourselves in, in the present moment, you know, and sometimes when I find myself in a challenging situation or a difficult moment, I have to kind of stop everything and sit myself down and, and ask myself, how can I love myself in this moment? And, um, yeah. And, and what comes for me, what comes up for me is, is, not all the things that I should be doing. In fact, um, I learned very quickly that self-love, you know, isn't a to-do list. It's, 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 it's a, it's a way of being. And if you just ask yourself what you need in that moment, the, the right thing to do ends up kind of revealing itself very quickly. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's all we need to do. Sometimes we all is, is just sit ourselves down and, and do that one thing that's going to make us feel uh, worthy of, of love and, um, and of our own, you know, self-love. And, and you know, what, what's, what's beautiful about, you know, um, this coaching program is there's actual, like, practical tools uh, to, to get yourself into that state, you know, they, they talk about meditation, they talk about self-hypnosis. 
um, or guided, you know, meditation or guided, you know, hypnosis therapy and, um, and all of that I'm finding to be very, very helpful because so much of, there's just so much noise in the world. Yeah. So much, uh, political noise, so much, um, social media noise, um, a lot of, a lot of opinions, a lot of, you know, um, people judging each other and, and, um, a lot of infighting, a lot of bullying, you know, there's just, there's just a lot going on in in the world right now. And because of the internet and technology, you know, we were receiving so much of it and, um, uh, you know, without a spiritual practice or without the ability to, to, you know, focus on how to love ourselves. I, I, you know, I, I can quickly, um, get very affected and devastated by, by all the noise. And so, um, yeah. So, you know, uh, for me, it's like a lot of that stuff is so out of our control anyway, but what can't, but I'm always thinking in terms of, well, what can I control in this moment and how can I shift my focus and my, um, my attention back to my purpose and how, and how I want to show up in the world. You know, I always go back to razor tongue and Ryan's and all the things that I've done, even, even with like Harley Quinn and, and, you know, law and order SVU, uh, you know, I, I get to show up in the world, uh, in, in ways that inspires people or gets people to think differently about trans people. And, um, and so I, I try and shift my attention to that when I find myself a little too almost affected by the noise is, is, is kind of getting myself to a place where like, well, how do you, how do you, okay, Rain, like, how do you want to show up in the world today in this moment? And suddenly I'm in a creative mindset and, um, you know, and then either I write something or, you know, I do something on social media to kind of say what I have to say or want to inspire other people to, um, continue, you know, living their authentic truth and, and showing up in a way that feels good for them and, and makes other people feel like they're seen and, and, and inspired. And really what I'm hearing you say this whole time and what you're advising other people to do is this art of getting quiet with yourself and getting right here and getting into the heart space. And I think what the coaching program has done in your words, and I know for me, is it's it's given me these tools in order to sit with myself, to recognize Mm -hmm. what my key values are, to recognize the places where Mm -hmm. I need to take or responsibility. You mentioned moving your attention. Where do we hold our attention in the world? Is it on the stress or anxiety mm-hmm. or is it on the creativity and what's coming out of us? And, you know, the other tools mm-hmm. that are so important, our subconscious minds are so powerful. It is this programming mm-hmm. that is beneath the surface that we're not even aware of and which can dictate a lot of our beliefs and behaviors. And so if we can learn through self-hypnosis to shift that subconscious awareness and identity, well, then everything becomes possible. And I do really do believe that on some level, you have recognized this through a lot of your life and shifted that unknowingly, but I'm hearing you say that Mm -hmm. this has been a more directed pathway for you um, with this program. And um, I know that's been the case for me. And mm-hmm. if anyone is interested, you might want to check out another podcast, the Jim Fortin podcast. And the program we're talking about is TCP or Transformational Coaching Program. If you are interested in this program and transforming your own life, let me know. I'm actually an ambassador and you can use my code, all one word, transform your life in order to sign up for mm-hmm. the program. Um, and it is a very powerful shift and, um, you know, you have two people right here who are witnesses to what it can do for you. So, (laughs) um, I love, I love a TCP plug. 
Yes. Rain, uh, mm -hmm. I just want to highlight just what a powerful leader you are in our community, how you lead by example, and that I have seen how, you know, one other thing I want to point out is you also taught acting classes for what, mm -hmm. three, four years now? Um, five and years. Five years. For five years, she's yeah. had so Isn't many so crazy. And these students have gone on to have parts in various incredible productions on TV and, and such and film. And, um, you know, mm. she really coined, I felt this idea of creating your content as a pathway, as a valid pathway to um, create your name and, and, you know, create the destiny you want in the film industry. And I'm wondering if you have any calls to action for our listeners, you know, as you being this person who has, you know, given a lot of yourself, has created a template mm. of, of possibility, um, what would, what would mm. you recommend to our listeners and to anybody? Uh, I, uh, hmm, very good question. I think, I think it's, uh, I think it's definitely worth just being in therapy or being a part of a community that sees you for who you are and validates you. Community is a huge, huge part of my success, I believe. And, um, you know, I wouldn't have been able to create Razor Tongue without uh, so many people who really believed in me. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, so, you know, showing and showing up for your community in a way that, that, uh, is meaningful for you is, is really important. I, you know, I, well, I try not to be a victim of my circumstances. I love more than anything to be the creator of my life experiences. And so when I think of it, that way, you know, yes. When I think of it that way, you know, and that's how I was able to create Razor Tongue and start my acting class, which has been going on for five years. It's an LGBTQ centered, affirming, you know, acting class where we get to be the majority and really allow ourselves a safe space to get uncomfortable, but also practice on our craft in a way that mm -hmm. maybe other acting spaces may not necessarily allow. Um, we kind of, you know, um, it's inherently there because we're all, we're all a part of the, the same community. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at a point where I'm at a point where, um, okay, well, cool. Well, what else can I create? <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm trying to think bigger. I'm trying to, um, expand my reach and, um, but, but, but I think, but I think that's, that would be my call to action or my advice is, is, is think about how you want to show up in the world and then create that create, create a space or, um, just, you know, um, create a pathway and start being really honest about what that is. And, and, um, <clears throat> the more specific you get about it, the more things kind of just starts to reveal itself to you and open up to you as the pathway. And, um, you know, that's, that's sort of how a lot of things in my life kind of happened. I was just like, okay, I want this and I don't know how I'm going to do it, but if I just focus more on what I'm committed to create, the how of it all just kind of has a tendency to kind of work itself out. Um, and so, you know, that I think, I think it's such a, well, it's such an important thing for our community because we have a tendency to walk into spaces and then suddenly find ourselves feeling like we don't belong. 
and that that's been a running theme in our in our community is the is, is not having a sense of belonging in certain spaces and um i'm always trying to shift my way of thinking of okay well how can i belong here what can i do to create more sense of belonging for myself and my community um and then that's when the ideas just starts to kind of come in and out and and then suddenly i have a acting class that's been going on for five years you know you know what I mean so it's just like I think that I think that's where I would start if if I was looking to to um change my life if if I was listening to think this podcast and was wanting to make a shift is like start I would start thinking about how I would want to show up in the world and that everyone is how a visionary operates by dreaming it first. You have to dream bigger and better than you ever imagined. And then the pathway reveals itself. <laughs> I wanna thank you, Rain Valdez, Hollywood visionary for sharing your story with us. Where can people find you? Oh gosh, where can people find me? Hopefully on the television, um, but... Uh, <laughs> But, but you can definitely, I'm on Instagram. That's like my favorite social media app, um, which is at Rain Valdez. Valdez. And yeah. yeah. And that, that's also, that's also, uh, yeah, at Rain Valdez. That's also uh, my website, rainvaldez.com. Perfect. Yeah. Everybody, please check out Rain. Keep an eye on her. She is rising uh, as we speak and so excited for this and every part of your future and thank you so much for being here everyone we will see you next time if you feel so inclined it really helps us if you can leave a five-star review on apple podcasts it really helps with the algorithm to get us seen and noticed and until next time everyone stay conscious stay conscious i love that